0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Quinn of the Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends, Sean Walker of Simple Co. Hey, fellas. And hey. Guy, hey. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. Hey, again. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patron, Kevin Almeida from Quill Woodworks. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Kevin, you're awesome.
0: <laughs> if you'd like to show your support, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshop if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around towards the end of the show where we're, we're going to talk briefly about what we've got going on in our own shops. So with that, let's get right into it. Guy, what is your first question?
1: Oh, I got the first one? Yes. All right. This question is from Nathan, and Nathan says, I've been woodworking nearly four years and do it as a part-time business. Well, good for you, Nathan. This year, business has really taken off and I'm getting several large commissions. Even better for you, Nathan, I'm glad to hear that. Because of this, I finally pulled the trigger on a Fuji Q5 Platinum HVLP. I figured if I was gonna spray, go all the way. My question for you gentlemen, I am convinced that the conversion varnish is a very high quality finish. I would like to use. Do you have any that you have used and loved any that you hate since many are water-based? Should I spray shellac first to pop the grain? Thank you, Nathan. Uh, congratulations, Nathan. I'm glad to hear that your business is taking off in a very short period of time. That's, that's very impressive. Um, HVLP and finishes and water-based finishes. That's a big can of worms. I don't know if we could cover it all with, you know, just a few minutes that we have to answer it, but I use a lot of water-based finishes mainly because if I use a, let's say a regular conversion varnish or a a lacquer, it'll sink up my whole house and I I can't have that. So I do use a lot of water-based finishes. Uh, I've used water based poly, I've used water based lacquer, and I've used the water based conversion varnish. Uh, And I have sprayed shellac underneath all three of those. The nice thing about shellac is, you know, shellac, as, as my friend Freddie Roman says, shellac sticks to everything and everything sticks to shellac. So if you apply, you know, a couple coats of shellac, sand it back. You'll have a nice popping of the grain, so to speak, and more depth of the grain, and you can cover it really easy with any of the water-based finishes I mentioned before. As far as any I love or any that I hate, I think all three of those choices are very good. Lately, I've been using a lot of the water-based conversion varnish, and I like it. I, I think it does a good job. It's very clear. It's very easy to apply. It sands back very easy. And once it's completely off-gassed, or I should say, the, the, the water is is is, is off-gassed, it's extremely hard and durable. What What about you, Hui? You shoot a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, and the only conversion varnish that I've shot has been the. Not chemical base. What 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 would you what do you call it? Um there's water base and then there's um solvent base. Solvent I'm sorry, based. I couldn't think of the yeah. word it is solvent base. And very much like you, guy, I'm shooting the conversion varnish or whatever finish I'm shooting, I'm shooting inside. Being here in Alabama, it's high humidity being outside during the summer times. Also, you've got to deal with bugs. For some reason, I feel like bugs are just extremely attracted to the solvent. Well, one thing,
1: one thing with high humidity—if you're you're shooting water-based poly, mm-hmm. I should say waterborne poly—if we really want to get you know that granular, yeah, yep. high humidity situations are not
0: good. Yeah, and they're not good for solvent-based either. So you get a lot, um, like just uh, I guess it's blushing, right? Blushing. Yep. Yeah, yep. but it goes away. It does. It does. But I am very much like you, shooting. Inside my garage, I think I'm going to go to a waterborne conversion varnish next time. It was an okay experience. It wasn't a pleasant experience. It was very, very, very stinky. My wife complained about it, and I don't blame her because it was terrible. For like two days, it was just really bad. If your shop is attached to your house, I would not recommend it. Now, I know guys that do it, and they swear by it. I just and again it wasn't a bad experience it just wasn't a pleasant one and so if i can avoid the stinkiness but still have the quick drying easy sanding back easy application then i'm going to go to the waterborne route and i think um you know i'll probably would you go would
1: you go waterborne poly conversion varnish lacquer
0: i've done waterborne poly and that's fine you know polyacrylic polyacrylic or uh uh, general finishes, uh, t- high performance, I think it's called. Yeah. High performance. High performance. Durable, yeah. I think what the next one that I want to try, the next waterborne finish I want to try is the conversion varnish because I, th- I like the additional hardness and durability that you get with uh, using a catalyzed
1: finish. Yeah, a lot of that 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 conversion varnish is pre cat mm-hmm. You don't have to mix anything.
0: Yeah, well, either way, either 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 pre-catalyzed or you know catalyzed in my shop, I would probably go with the pre-catalyzed just to try the ease, and if uh, if it works, then I'd probably use it again. Um, but I want to I want to go that route. I want to go the waterborne conversion varnish route, and uh, yeah, sticking with the Q5, that's great. Um, you know, minimizes the amount of thinning that you need to do. Um, yeah, more power, right? So. Yeah. How about you, Sean? I think you have a three-stage, right? Uh, I believe it is a three-stage.
2: Yes. I got it from Guy, yeah. yeah. I very, stage. very rarely spray. It from
1: Guy. Actually, it was a gift from Guy. Yep, it was.
2: Isn't that, isn't it was that cool? <laughs> it, yep. was. it was a gift from Guy.
1: It was a gift from Guy.
2: I'll sell it to anybody that's listening. Oh. <laughs>
1: Alex, that hurts. No,
2: I'm just playing. Yikes. Um. Yeah, I've not done much spraying. I I have sprayed um water-based polyacrylic and it, it's really nice to spray. I've um, not tried any high performance, but I imagine it's going to be equally as nice, maybe a little bit better. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, have you sprayed shellac? Actually, yes, I have sprayed. Uh, I have sprayed shellac. Yeah. Um, but just talking in, in water-based, just the only thing I've done is is polyacrylic. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I had the room, I would love to spray more, but I'm just, I just don't have the room and, and, and breaking that stuff down and cleaning it and putting it back up. Mm-hmm. I would just rather wipe something on, but you know, I'm not building furniture to sell. So, mm.
1: yeah, I, I recently bought one of those. Um, I think it's like Home Right spray Booths. Yeah, yeah. What
0: What do you think of that? Uh, it's It's not tall enough. Yeah, I thought it was a little short too. I'm
1: I'm, I'm well. You're how tall are you? Like five one. <laughs> I'm I'm like five, six seven. one. I'm just season. I'm like six one, and it was hard for me to get in, but. For spring, I, I I bought the. It's I think it's like eight by ten. It's their large one. Yeah, yeah. One. I should have probably bought the smaller one. I think, because for the most part, all that extra width and length is kind of useless. We're mm-hmm. shooting right in the center of the thing. So for shooting small parts, it was really nice. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I backed it up to the garage door and put a fan in it, and just it, it just worked really well. And I, I was shooting I was shooting a pigmented um, conversion varnish from CIC mm-hmm. or Centurion. and it, that stuff is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Really, really good stuff. Uh, that's the other thing you know with, with some of these water-based finishes, you can get them pigmented and instead of like spraying like latex or something like that you can shoot this stuff and it just it goes on real easy it cleans up real easy and it's just it's just wonderful it's a wonderful experience i can't recommend it enough yeah um but like i said i shot my whole kitchen in the conversion varnish and i really liked it it's and it's a tough finish yep. we've had it you know uh installed for a year now and it looks as good as the day I, you know, shot it.
0: I've shot the pigmented water-based pre-cat, pre-cat lacquer, and I, I really enjoyed it. Shot very easily. It, it it's a nice consistency, and very easily what, goes what from brand. Around. It was a uh, was Sherwin Plus. Williams. It's yeah, the Chem Aqua Plus.
1: Yeah, Chem mm-hmm. Aqua. But uh, as far as putting shellac underneath it to pop the grain, Nathan, uh, if you are going to be shooting clear water-based stuff, that is a good way to go for sure. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm So, um, who's got the next one to get Sean Sean. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. All right. This is from Adam. I'm probably going to get one of those rigid oscillating belt and spindle sanders that everyone seems to like a lot, but I've also had my eye on a 12 inch disc sander. Mainly now I'll be using them to sand to lines on curves, cut with a bandsaw. I'm wondering what I would be able to do in addition to that. If I had the disc sander or whether it's overkill to have both. Thanks, and don't let Guy answer my question first. Just kidding. You're a great guy, Adam. (laughs) I didn't didn't even notice that last sentence until Uh... just now. I don't (laughs) normally read that far into it. Um, That's interesting. So, Guy, you can't answer. Actually, I'm going to let you answer first. No, I'm just joking. Um, So for the folks that aren't familiar with the rigid oscillating edge belt and spindle sander tool, uh, it's essentially constructed as two tools in one. Uh, You have an oscillating edge belt sander that you can remove part of the mechanism up top to turn into a spindle sander Mm -hmm. uh, by using just one of the posts. And all of that is apparently tool free. And the most important thing for me is a space saver because I actually investigated this machine to try and save space by getting rid of my dedicated spindle sander and the disc sander. And I'm probably going to end up doing that. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet because of the price of it and what I have now seems to work pretty well. But now to answer Adam's question, he mentions that he wants the disc sander to sand lines on curves cut with the bandsaw. And you're going to be able to do that with the oscillating belt sander. Uh, so you're going to be able to have that same functionality. You can sand the outside curves and for the inside curves, you can convert the machine over to the spindle sander. But his main question is he's wondering if, you know what he would be able to do in addition to that, if he had the disc sander. And to be honest, I thought about this for a few minutes, only a few minutes. And the only thing that comes to my mind is the disc sander may give you a little bit more height potentially than the rigid, but uh, with the disc being round, I'm not sure how much extra real estate that, that will give you. I have seen some folks use their entire disc sander for sanding segmented rings before gluing it up, which I guess you wouldn't. That's the thing right there. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess you wouldn't be able to do with the rigid only. So other than that i mean i can't think of any other advantages that having the disc sander in addition to the rigid gives you and do either of you own this rigid we do you own this rigid i do not guy
1: i do i do i do
2: (laughs) there you go Guy gets it second what are are your thoughts on that and would you add a disc sander
1: no i like it it's a It was very inexpensive when I bought it. I bought it for like $129 when it was on sale. Once I was walking through, I was
2: 269 now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was probably five years ago, four or five years ago. I was walking through home Depot and at that time they were talking about discontinuing it. So they were closing it out. So it was like 129 bucks. I walked by and I saw, Oh, I gotta have me that. So I I pulled the trigger and bought it. And you know, I really like it. Um, it's the best of both worlds. It does. It's very easy to change over. It's got good dust collection. Mm-hmm. I get a good 90 degree from the fence to the table or from the, the, the sanding disc or the spindle to the table. The only thing is it doesn't give you a lot of height
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a lot of length with the belt sander because mm-hmm. it's only like you know, seven or eight inches long. Yeah. It's yeah. not very big. Like if, let, you know, a good example is, let's say, you know, a lot of people have the the, the the big long edge sanders. You just take a drawer and put it up against that and you're done. I've tried to do that on this one. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Unless your drawer is like three inches tall, then it works fine. Yeah. The only advantage I see to ha- really to having the disc sander is if you're doing segmented turning, yeah. Then I think it's a, you know, that's like a a, a staple thing that you have to almost have mm-hmm. to do segmented turning. Mm-hmm. What about you, Hui? I what have a said?
0: I have a dedicated jet oscillating spindle, and then I have Mr. a Mister Fancy Pants. Right. I actually got it used on eBay. Uh, I think for like 100 because yeah, those bucks. those
1: jet ones are expensive, but they're really yeah, nice. They are really nice. but
0: I, I don't have the big floor standing one. I have like a sort of a bench top one, but still it, mm-hmm. it's still very nice. It has a good throw on it. Um, I think it's like a three inch travel with the spindle. It's not bad. It's pretty good. It was well worth a I think 125, 150 that I spent. it wasn't it wasn't that much comparatively to what yeah. the what it is new. I do have a dedicated a grizzly disc and uh, belt sander. I would love to try... A, is it a 12-inch disc? I think it's a 10-inch or 8 I can't remember. I honestly can't remember. The point is is that I honestly don't think that I need that big of a disc sander.
1: How often, how often do you use a disc sander? Not
0: that often. Not that often. I use a spindle sander a lot more. But I use it. And, and so here's the thing is that if you had that edge sander attachment on the rigid it probably for most of what at least for what most of what i do it's probably gonna be fine you know yeah again i i have two machines uh man it, i think about it man that would be nice to have one you know just have it all in one but having the height is a little bit of a limiting factor and i think that was one of the considerations because i was on the fence of actually getting that rigid multi-sander i'm just gonna call it that because it does a bunch of different things but I ultimately went with two dedicated machines. Oh. doesn't take that yeah. much space because it's kind of on one sort of portable table.
1: Yeah, I I, I have mine. Um, I redid the where I had it before. I used to have it and I hid it under my thickness planer mm-hmm. when I had the DeWalt 4 post. Mm-hmm. And when I got rid of that, I put the, the, the sander on top of that cart. Now I have a dedicated... Uh, shop vac underneath, underneath the bun- underneath that cart with you know the the Ivac switch. Yeah. Nice. So when I turn the sander on, the vac goes on, mm-hmm. and you know I turn it off, it goes off. And it, you know the the dust collection, the thing I like about it is dust collection is very good. Yep. Yeah. It and like it's just handy. I don't use I don't use it that often, mm-hmm. but when I need something like that it's very handy to have and it's it's very easy to change over from spindle to to, to belt mm-hmm. yeah
2: so, I, I like the floor saving or the tabletop saving that it would that it would give me and uh the spindle center i got from harbor freight that thing is a tank it's probably one of the best tools i've purchased from harbor freight
1: what about your disc sander
2: harbor freight central machinery it's uh, it's yeah. nice as well Really, um, nice. I've heard yeah. good
1: things. I've heard good things about that. I went and looked at it once. I almost bought one because I needed it for something. I almost bought one. I went up there and looked at it, and the fence was such a piece of garbage. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I mean the 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 table isn't very good. Yeah, that's on um, the table. The table isn't very good.
1: <laughs> isn't but, very good. That's a nice, that's very diplomatic. I
2: mean, it depends. I mean, for you doing outside <laughs> curves, nobody's going to check and see if it's ninety degrees to the yeah. edge. It may be like eighty eight, so and I was you know I didn't it didn't bother me any, and plus I got I got it almost free because it came damaged, and they're like, don't send it back. Here's twenty five dollars off. I'm like, all right, cool. (laughs) That's pretty good. The shroud that covers the fan in the back tore off, so Uh I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah, you don't you know it's one of those tools that when you need it, you have it. And
0: then you didn't pay that much for it. So, you know, you're very forgiving for a lot of those types of things. Right.
2: Oh yeah. It's not at 90 degrees. Oh, well, it was (laughs) free.
1: Well, the, the only real sander I really wish I had is, is a big, long edge sander.
2: Yeah.
0: Those are nice.
1: Yeah.
0: I wish I had the room for one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have have a lot of room. room.
1: It's a lot of room and it's a real specialty tool. Yeah. It's not like, you know, there's just times when I really wish I had one. It's like, uh, especially like sanding like edges and stuff like that boom 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 you're
0: done well guy you got a mini one <laughs> yeah that
1: it's not the same
0: thing. no i
1: know i know so
2: all right i think Hui, you've got the next one yes and this question
0: is from monty and he says hey there found this podcast after seeing it mentioned in one of guy's videos and finally got around to listening to a few thank you thank you very much monty thank you guy for mentioning it Uh, I picked up a Festool TS55 last fall and I've been slowly getting more familiar with it. I'm working towards getting an MFT style top for an outfeed table and came across an older 2013 video of Guy's YouTube channel showing a setup using an Incra fence with stops on an MFT outfeed table. I'm curious if you still use that sort of setup and if you'd go with the same method for attaching the fence today versus something like the Fence Dogs from BenchDog.uk or PrecisionDogs.us, not released yet. Any discussion on using a track saw on an MFT-type table for cross cuts with stops, etc., would be welcome. When I was building my outfeed assembly table, I actually uh, used Guy's YouTube video as well as a sort of a reference, because he had used the IncroFence Fence. And with stops along the outside perimeter. Am I correct on that guy? Yes. So I used uh, aluminum extrusions, very similar to what is offered by Incra. It's, it's more like sort of a rector set type deal. And it, it's from Misumi Engineering. And I used the six millimeters uh, series and it's called Series 6. And I attached it on the outside. I actually use it quite a bit when I'm doing any type of edge banding. And that's what I use it mostly for. What I don't use it for is for like attaching some type of fence for the TS fifty five in the crosscut capacity. Uh, am I making sense there, guy? Because I know sure. I, I, I know you you have the. What are you
1: talking about? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention.
0: Well, well, I'm talking about the. Uh, <laughs> The perimeter? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I heard you. I'm, I'm just messing <laughs> What do you? What do you? Yeah, that makes sense. What do you use your Inkra fence on the perimeter for? Because I use it mostly for um, the Festool type clamps, you know, the ratchet clamps and the screw clamps that go on into that uh, into that profile. What do you use okay. yours pr- primarily for?
1: Well, my my MFT style table, outfeed table, is obviously a an outfeed table. But I also use it to clamp things down. I use it quite a bit for the clamping. Mm-hmm. And when I originally built it, I put T-track around the perimeter of the top. And I also put a side track on it so I could attach the Festool crosscut little flipper, upper, downer thingy do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What Bonnie is asking is really related to that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I hate building something and then kicking myself in the butt later because I didn't think it through. So I overanalyze everything to mm-hmm. the to the eleventh degree, and that's what I did here. So I, I overengineered it, and I found I never used the damn thing. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. for cross cuts with that flipper thing from Festool. Monty, I use bench dogs or fence dogs or precision dogs, whatever you want to call them. The ones I use are quaz dogs, and they're basically the same thing. I have some of the the, the parf dogs uh, that Peter Parfitt designed, and I much prefer those to the flip-down fence thing. It works really well for crosscuts. Mm-hmm. And the only time I really need to do that. Is when I have cross cuts longer than twenty four inches, mm-hmm. because my cross cut sled will do up to twenty four inches. Mm-hmm. And if it's longer than that, obviously I use that. Or I also another great thing to do cross cuts that I use quite a bit is the TSO. Uh, the I think it's like a GR GRS-16 for guide rail square. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it fits, it just clips onto the track. You butt it up against your edge and you're off to the races. It works really well. I really like that for cross-cutting.
0: So much like so. you, Guy, I had, when I was building out, building my, Outfit assembly table i had over engineered it so i had these sort of attachments that went you into you over engineered yeah so i <laughs> so i had an attachment i built an attachment for the perimeter fence you know the misumi aluminum extrusions that i have and it gives me the ability to actually attach the um the ts55 fence to this attachment that i have to give me perfect 90 cuts perpendicular to the dog holes that I have inside of the MFT top. The problem is that I have to set it up. I have to put all that stuff, right? Like it's just, Uh it's too much to set up. So just
1: that's why the the dogs are the the best. And I got rail dogs that, that clip into the rails. They're just, it's just so damn easy. It's
0: much easier. Now, if you want to use that, those extrusions, because you want to use them as a clamping mechanism. Absolutely. That's great. That's cool but in terms of using it in conjunction with the TS55 th- I'm, I'm right there with you the precision dogs bench dogs fence dogs, whatever you want to call them a bunch of companies make them I would go with that same thing with as you that that um, uh, TSO uh, square that clips onto the track that thing is priceless when it comes to making mm. uh, cross I've got one of those
1: I've got one of those and I've got the the woodpecker one too yeah yeah woodpecker's yeah. one is really nice mm-hmm It's really really nice. However, it's, it's, it's a little pricey, but it has a lot more features because you can do angles on it. Right. Yep. Um, which is, which is nice. What about you, Sean? Let's bring Sean in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, I was
2: going to, I didn't want to interrupt. I was going to sit here and wait for a pause (laughs) in that. So yeah, this question was geared, I guess, more toward guy. So I'm not sure guy, do you still use those sort of setup and, uh,
1: Did you answer those questions, I guess? Because I was kind of confused about this. I think, think, well, what he's asking, there's a, on the Festool MFT, if you buy, you know, the complete Festool MFT package, Mm -hmm. there's a a rail that attaches to the side of the table Mm -hmm. in a vertical position. And it's like a a hinge. Mm -hmm. And you fold the thing down And it's got another rail that goes along the length inside the, on top of the table. And you put your board on there and you can cross cut with it. Yeah. I have that built into my table because I kind of built it myself and I bought all the parts from festival that I needed to do certain things. I don't use any of that stuff anymore. And I show that in the video that I use the stuff. But now what I do is since those holes in the MFT table are all CNC'd really well, mm-hmm. um, within a couple thou. And there's these things called rail dogs, that screw into the bottom of the TS-50. professional guide rails. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you put that in the table, and then you put bench dogs, or you know, the, the little dogs that fit in the MFT table, the, the quads dogs is what they're called the ones I have anyways Mm -hmm. and you put them in there at 90 degrees and you just butt the board up against those and you put the, the the rail down into the holes and you're ready to go. It takes like 10 seconds to set up. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That Um, is, that's something that I want to try to achieve. I think I didn't think it through very well when I designed my outfeed table, it's, it's too large and it's a nice flat surface, but I just wish I had, you know, I could do more with it. And I think I'm going to try to take a second stab at it and, and integrate some of these type of features next year. But your, your outfeed table is also your workbench, right? No. Isn't
1: it? I thought it was at one time.
2: It was when I only had a workbench, but I got a, I got a workbench and an assembly table. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the only problem with having that MFT style table as my outfeed table is it's always covered up with junk <laughs> when I'm building something because I use the heck out of it mostly to clamp stuff down when I'm, you know, using the Domino or I'm using my biscuit joiner or the the Zeta P or I'm doing this I'm doing that I'm doing something and it's just very handy to clamp it right to the top of that thing because of all the holes for sure and. I'm doing something there. It's like, oh, I got to cut a board. It's like, oh, I can't cut a board because all the stuff's in the way.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, well, when you're limited on space, I mean, that's, yeah. you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, I'd love you know, to I've have got, two dedicated tables.
1: I've got all this, all these great tools in my shop. Unfortunately, I don't have any room to make any projects now.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the hobby is collecting the tools. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. part of it. It's part
0: of it. Well, Guy, with that, uh, we are back to you on your second question.
1: All right, so here's the next question. It comes from Ben and says, hey guys, table saw technique question for you. When ripping narrow stock from a wider board, do you prefer the narrow rip against the fence for discussion purposes, let's say two inch rip, when ripping down a wide board, or do you prefer to keep the wide board between the fence and the blade and use a stop block or a thin rip block and uh, constantly move the fence. Assuming the thin rip against the fence is more accurate, but are either techniques safer, Ben? Ben, that's a really good question. I do it both ways. If it's under, let's say if it's a two inch rip, Mm -hmm. I'm using the fence and I'm pushing the the, the wood between the, the blade and the fence. The, the real question becomes uh, more relevant when you're trying to get like a sixteenth of an inch right. or an eighth of an inch. Let's say you're you've got to cut some shims, okay. and you want to take a sixteenth of an inch off the outside of a board. In that case, I like to have the cutoff be my keeper piece. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll take a board that's let's say four and whatever inches. And I'll put it against my fence. I don't use, I don't have a thin rip guide. And I'll, I'll talk about the thin rip guide in a second. But I put my board up against the fence and I'll cut it at four inches. Then I'll move my fence over. Let's say I want a 16th of an inch shim. Mm-hmm. I'll move my fence, you know, towards the blade an eighth of an inch plus a 16th of an inch. So I'm yep. a three 16ths of an inch. And whatever the cutoff is going to be, it's going to be, a sixteenth of an inch. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. What yeah. what Ben is talking about, the thin rip gauge, if if I'm I'm pretty sure Sean and Hui know what that is, but for our listening audience at home, what that is is you set up a stop block to the left of the blade. And what you do is you move the the let's say you, you take that and you put it a sixteenth of an inch away from the outside of your blade to the left side of the blade. And you move your fence over and you put it up against that stop block. You rip, put it up against the stop block again and you keep ripping. So you have to keep moving your fence over Right. to do that. It's the same thing with the other way, but you know, I've never used one. Have you guys used a, a thin rip gauge or do you do it like what I mentioned before? I've made my own block,
2: but I know like uh, Rockler, they sell a like thin rip table saw yeah. jig that has like the bearing on the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not used it personally, but I've heard great things about it. It, you know, it's accurate. It's sturdy. Um, I would highly recommend getting something like that. A block would work, but you know, having something with a little bearing on the end is going to make it a little bit easier to push sure. it through. But that, that's the the same method that I follow with. If it's less than, I don't know if it's less than three quarters of an inch, I'll go the other way, but anything greater than that, I'll use the fence.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I like using the fence. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: if I can fit my push block through there, I'm, yeah, I'm going with it. Yeah, yep.
0: I have the thin rip roller bearing thing that Rocker makes, and it works well. Uh, but how um, often do you use it? I have when not you need to
1: make that that kind of when you need to make that kind of rip. How often do you use it?
0: When I need to make that kind of rip, that really thin, like sixteenth of an inch, you know, type rip, I use it. I use it for that. Yep.
2: Yep. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Now, if I'm just making one piece, if I'm I don't need to repeat that over and over and over. No, I wouldn't use that right on a block like that. Right yep.
0: on, right on. I, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, at, in the case where I have used it, uh, I had to make a whole bunch of thin strips for edge banding. That's what I used it for. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I think, well, I, just- and I think it's an appropriate time to use that type of jig for that.
1: With the, the fence system I have, which th- which is the Incra, mm-hmm. by the way, I do have a YouTube video on my Incra fence. It, it just makes that so easy not to have a thin rip gauge because it you know, automatically locks in at, at 30 seconds of an inch. So I can, there. there's no, if I want to cut off four pieces at exactly a 16th of an inch, it's really easy to do. Um without the thin rip guide. Now, if I had a regular T style fence, like you guys do, I would probably have a thin rip. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. Jig, but I, I, myself, I don't need one. Yeah, but it's not special.
2: It's, yeah, I get it. So on your, if you move yours over, are you, what, how are you moving it over? Are you looking, okay, it's three and seven sixteenths. So and now you're moving it to three and whatever. How are you moving it over with, without, I guess is as easy as it would be to use a, a thin rip jig where you just loosen your fence, push the board up against it, lock the fence and push it. Are you
1: having to do math or how are you? Moving well, it over I mean, I run? don't, I don't really have to do math. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's got a graduated scale on it. So, I mean, I know if I'm cutting sixteenths of an inch off, I just move it over one, two, three ticks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I, I use the, it's the same way I, you know, I do it quite a bit with shop math period. I'll look at a ruler and I'll take a pencil and I go, okay, so I've got, you know, three and seven sixteenths and I need to subtract two and five eighths from that. What is it? I just look at it. I just, and I use the ruler to do the math for me. Mm. You guys ever do that?
2: No, I will use a calculator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd yeah, I would there, rather... there are some
1: good apps out there, but that's that's how I do a lot of it because it's just easier that way. And when I look at the incra fence, you know, it's got the it's got grad just like any any table saw fence has graduated marks on it, but it's not as accurate as the way that that incra locks into that thirty second of an inch. So I just move it over three sixteenths of an inch. I just look at the graduated scale and go boom, boom, boom. boom. And I'm done. It's just as easy as moving the, the fence over to a stop block. Okay. Does that make
2: sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes sense. I'm just trying to determine what you know if that's gonna take much
1: more time
2: to do than just bump no. it up your wood up to it and hit and lock it in place.
1: No, it doesn't take any time because it's just you just look at it and you just move it and you're done. It takes absolute absolutely no brain cells to do that. Even it's so simple, even I can do it.
2: You gotta be looking at the scale. Takes a little bit of oh brain power.
1: Gosh, oh, you're so you're so argumentative, to <laughs> No, <laughs> just telling the truth. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I, I do have to look at the fence. I do have to look at the, the gauge. You're absolutely right. But it, it, it's one of those things I'm just so used to it. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Ben. So I think we're gonna move on. So Sean, see you.
2: Yep, from Marion. Hey, I love your guys' show. You guys are lucky to have guy on your staff. Every act needs a straight (laughs) man. He's a good one.
1: How come everybody always talks about me? I don't know.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I think that they must think that other people talk bad about you, so they're taking up for you. So my question is this, in making tabletops, is there a standard width of board you prefer? That is, if you have to cut down something wider, you typically go for an eight inch wide board, six inch or 12 inch board from Marion. And for me, it depends on a couple of things. First, I'm going to assess the lumber that I have on hand to look at the condition of the lumber. Is it nice and flat? Is it twisted? Is it warped? If so, obviously I'm going to have to rip that down to narrower pieces. And uh, that's most likely, I'm going to try to get No no, uh, narrower than six inches wide if I can help it. And this all depends on the size of the top that I'm making. Uh, And even at that width, I'm hoping that I'm going to remove most of the twist and movement from that board. If not, I'm going to have problems. I try not to go much narrower than that unless it's the only stock that I have. But I I try to start out with the flattest lumber that I have possible on hand for tabletops Mm -hmm. since you're using more of the lumber. Uh, If I have nice straight lumber like the quarter sawn babinga that I had, you know, I'm going to go as wide as my lumber allows that will fit on my joiner. The desk that I'm sitting at right now actually is uh, is a cherry desk that I have a video on my YouTube channel. Uh, it, it's, uh-huh. it has a top that's 24 inches wide, and it, I made the entire top out of two pieces of cherry. The boards mm-hmm. were so flat that I just ran them through the drum sander, uh, so they're a little bit thicker than three-quarter. Uh, they're right at almost an inch. And then I edge joined them and glued them up, and then I referenced my workbench uh, so I know that they they'll stay dead flat as it's referencing a flat uh, workbench. But that that just I try to go as wide as possible depending on the lumber. I just assess what I have on hand, and that's just my methodology on that guy. I understand you probably glue up a few tops a day at your day job. Do you guys plan out your stock, and if so, do you have a rule of thumb on board width for things like tabletops?
1: Well, uh, I mean. Yeah, that's a little bit different though. That's a production shop. So we'll get order for like, you know, like 50 tables. And we just grab boards and, and there there's no rhyme or reason in any of it. We just grab boards and edge joint them, you know, plane them, edge joint them and glue them together. We know we have to have a 10 foot table that's 48 inches wide. That's all we know. And these guys are trained just to grab boards because the more time we take, the more money it costs us in a, in a home shop. And if you're building, you know, f- well, consider fine furniture, heirloom quality furniture, which is most of our listeners are in that hobbyist uh, arena or a semi pro so to speak. Yep. Um, to me, I unfortunately obsess about grain direction, color, grain patterns, things like that when I'm building a tabletop. So, you know, the question of the width, let's say an eight inch, six inch, 12 inch board, let's say I'm building a a 24 inch top and I've got a 12 inch wide, you know, a 13 inch wide board that I can make into a 12 inch top. I'm going to use that if it's one board and the, you know, I know I'm going to get a consistent grain, consistent color, everything is going to look good when I put it together. But let's say I don't have that and I've got some six inch boards and I've got an eight inch board. It's not from the same flitch. So the color's a little bit different. The grain's a little bit different. You know, I'll spend a long time going through my wood pile and looking at the different options I have because something like a tabletop Depending on the piece, but a tabletop is almost the focal point of any table. So you want it to look really good. And like I said, I obsess over that. But I don't it's not like if I have a 12-inch board, I'm gonna rip it in half because I don't want to use 12-inch boards. I only use six-inch wide boards. You also have to consider, you know, how wide is your joiner to flatten it. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to flatten wide boards, you know, like a 12 inch board. If you've got an eight inch or a six inch joint, we're not going to get into that now, but that plays a part in it too. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. We, what about you?
0: Really, uh, you know, for me, the limiting factor is really the capacity of my jointer planer. Uh, I try to get you know pretty decently. I, I care. More about how the wood looks, making sure that I get a good color match and that the grain mm. direction is looks good, more so than actually the width of the board. You know, I mean, you yeah. can, you, if you can get six quarter son, six inch boards with nice, beautiful, straight grain, it's going to be hard to tell that it's like multiple boards. But if you've got, you know, 12 inch wide boards and it's got, you know, funky and punky looking cathedrals going every which direction and it just really doesn't have a flow to it yeah. well then you've just sacrificed width for what could be a better match of color grain direction well, so well, well
1: another thing too to consider and i'm sorry to interrupt but let's say you know let's say a six inch and 12 inch, let's say you're try making an 18 inch wide top mm-hmm. for a coffee table that's four feet long sure and you've got a four foot or a four and a half foot long 12 inch board Mm -hmm. and a four and a half inch long six inch board. Mm -hmm. Do you just glue them up together or do you rip the 12 inch board in half? Yeah. Three even sized boards. I think that is part of the question that, that, that he's asking.
0: I think in that situation, again, I've got to look, let's say I've got a nice, uh, a, a big cathedral right in the center of that 12 inch board. And then I have, you know, g- grain direction flowing uh, really nicely in the six inch board. I might rip that 12 inch board in half and sandwich that six inch board to make it flow a little bit
1: better.
2: Am I making sense there? So you would rip the cathedral in half and put something in between it?
1: Yeah. That's goofy. know you yeah. You're really? insane to me. Yeah,
0: What's insane. <laughs> you
1: insane. I am. Be committed.
0: <laughs> Get me committed. Um, yeah. a- again, I don't particularly care uh, for cathedrals all the time. And it, it, it really is sort of dependent on, on how the boards look together. Uh, in that situation I might, but I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at the board and, and really see the,
2: the 12 inch wide board and then take, okay. So say you needed an 18 inch wide top. You have a 12 inch wide board, a six inch wide board. I'd probably take the six inch wide board, rip it down the middle and put three inches on the left, three inches on the right. If the mm-hmm. grain matched well enough and then make that yeah. Mark
1: up. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, and that's, that's, and you're exactly right, Sean. It's how the grain matches up. One of the, and I I mentioned before at work, you know, our production shop and we're making all these tabletops. I actually did a training session with these guys because they, I mean, they don't know what they don't know. Sure. They've just been told that this is what you grab the boards, get them flat and glue them together. And it's got to be 36 inches. So make it at least 39 inches minimum. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be ash. So nobody's told them that, you know, hey, don't put this board with this board. Pay attention to the grain, this kind of thing. So we actually had a training session about a week ago, maybe two Mm -hmm. weeks ago, two weeks ago, where I went over all that stuff with the guys. You know, it's like, hey, you're doing, you got 10 tops that you have to mill lumber for when you're, and we have a process that we, that we go through, and I'm not gonna get you know into the weeds that much on that. But one of the things they do is they're picking out the boards and what order they go in before they go to be final jointed and edge glued. So I'm saying, you know, hey, take five minutes, don't take a half hour or an hour, mm-hmm. but just take five minutes and move the boards around. And I grab some random boards out of our cutoff bin. And I said, so if you just put them together, this is what it would look like. But let's look at this and let's look at the grain pattern on the edges. Let's look at the color differences and let's just spend a few minutes and put them in a little bit different order. We made a really beautiful top in a couple minutes just by flipping some boards this way and flipping a board over and Mm -hmm. moving a board here and moving a board there. So it's just something to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, I mean, I'm talking about a situation that's very similar to what Sean was saying. It really is dependent on what the board, how the boards look. I mean, I wouldn't just yeah. willy-nilly just split the 12-inch board in half just to get a, a three evenly spaced 6-inch boards. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, and it's very possible that the 12-inch board is just going to look perfectly fine next to the 6-inch board. Uh, in which case I wouldn't rip it down at all and and I've had situations where I've had you know different width boards that have been joined together simply just because they look better that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so anyway
1: it's it's a real it's a real um, subjective thing mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. have to you have to channel your your inner artist when you're looking at stuff like that. It, you're right. It's a thing
2: where you can rotate a board, flip a board if you have three different boards, you can get a million different scenarios on how that tabletop's mm-hmm. going to look.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep.
2: All right. So that is the answer to my question. Who's got the next one? Is that you, Hui? Yep. Who's I
0: got, got
1: the last question?
0: All right. So this is uh, from Tamazaki or Tamakazi. Tamakazi. Can you share any info or help for vacuum hoses? How many sizes are there? I have seven different types of shop vacs, some for the shop, some for the job sites, and one for water and it seems like everyone has a different size hose. I have reducers and tons of other fittings, but it seems like half the time I am <laughs> taping them to the tool uh, I am using. Is this a common problem? I also have two portable dust collectors. I thought about painting each size a different color and then just match them up. Tamikaze, I feel your pain. Um, I have... <laughs> I have a Festool dust extractor, which as we all know, the Festool extractors, I think are, is it 25 millimeter and 35 millimeter? Is that correct? I can't remember. Anyway. 27 and 35.
1: 27
0: and 35. There we go. And then I've got, (laughs) it's something like that. Uh, And then I have a rigid uh, shop vac, which I use, uh, you know, with my CNC and some of the other uh, powered hand tools that don't match up or marry up well with the Festival dust extractor. And it just doesn't matter. I mean, they're just a million and one different fittings, and they've always been a problem with me getting proper fitting things. So I have two tips for you. One thing that's worked for me is Rockler makes this, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a rubberized fitting. It's a
1: universal tool adapter yeah, yeah
0: yeah and and they may they're they're basically three different sizes small medium and large because it's flexible it can stretch and it actually grabs pretty well onto any um, many different size tool i guess uh, inlets right ports ports tool ports exactly extraction ports and it works really well i've had it for about six months now and i've used it on several occasions now i still do have there are two sizes that the rigid vacuum uses. I think it's like one and a half and two and a half inch, but it's a lot of these fittings either will fit uh, in the inside diameter or the outside <sighs> diameter. And for that reason, <laughs> nothing fits properly, but mm-hmm. having that adapter, uh, from Rockler really helps a lot. So maybe consider using that and that will give you maybe just three fittings to have to have to switch, uh, between, The second thing is find somebody or a friend who has a 3D printer. I've got, Mm -hmm. you know, the Craig Foreman. And uh, I like using the Craig Foreman with the Festool dust extractor. And the reason is because when I turn on that switch, the vacuum turns on. So it's not constantly running. The problem is, is that the fitting on the Festool hose does not fit onto the Craig Foreman. So I had my friend, one of my friends who has a 3D printer. Make me a fitting. So find a friend who has a three. Made out of
1: anti-static material.
0: It isn't no. Um Well
1: then you're you're kind of defeating the purpose of the anti-static <laughs> hose.
0: Well, maybe so, but it <laughs> but, but it still works. <laughs> for that little bit of fit, for that little, uh, I mean, it's literally like three inches long. For that little bit of uh, three inches long of PETG, I think is the material that that she made it for me out of uh, it's not a problem. <laughs> so
1: we you, are there. Sean, what, what do you do? You got a bunch of different hose sizes.
2: I fought with that for a long time. And then I just eventually bought a Festool, uh dust extractor. And now I'm slowly converting all my hand power tools over to Festool.
1: I Expensive way to go about buying had adapters. a Festool router. Very fancy. fancy yeah. Fancy. Isn't that yep. thing awesome?
2: Uh, yeah. And the dust collection is really good. And, the, the router is really, really well made and designed, installing the bits, removing the bits. Uh, that was the probably the best part about upgrading from my old Bosch, that in the dust collection. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand, though, and this could be because I don't know much about Festool. Why is the power cable different on that versus like their random orbit sander and their uh, domino? It's because a completely different, different cable.
1: the different machines draw different amperages. Yeah. And the machines that draw a higher amperage, they use a thicker cord, right. a thicker wire on the inside. Mm-hmm. So if you use the one that doesn't have the little nubbin that sticks out,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I just use that on everything.
0: Right. The thicker the thicker gauge wire will work with all the
2: tools. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't fit in the adapter though, on the router. Hmm. It wouldn't fit in the router unless I wasn't able to to plug it up right.
0: No, the 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 cord for the router will fit on the sander, but the but the cord for the sander will not fit
1: oh. on oh. the router. The router. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's got it's got a little extra nubbin Yeah. That sticks out. It's got an indentation and a protrusion mm-hmm. on the sander. The one for the router just has the indentation and no protrusion. So what you just was that? I that hear one. you. Just use just use the one for the router. Yeah, for all of them. Okay. okay. On everything.
0: Yeah.
1: On everything. And you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyways, we were talking about hoses. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that 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 the 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 question is pretty relevant because every every single person listening to this podcast has struggled has that. been there. Yeah. With all these different damn hoses. I mean, the connectors and and the We brought up a really good point. It's like some of the stuff hooks up on the outside of the connector. Some of it hooks up on the inside. So there's ID, there's OD, Mm -hmm. there's two and a half inch, there's two and a quarter, there's inch and a half, there's inch and a quarter. And I'm in the same camp as we and Sean where I just said, screw this. And I'm just sticking with one thing. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, the Festool which we were talking about. Yeah. The only problem is, is that most of the tools out there that have dust collection, if they are not European made, in other words, they're not like a Bosch or a Festool or uh, whoever, those Festool connectors are not going to fit them. So if it's a Milwaukee, a Dewalt. Yeah, Any of the stuff that's, you know, made in China or Taiwan, it's not American made, but American companies, you can be assured that the festival stuff won't fit it. Yep. Yep. And you're going to have to do some kind of crazy adapter because everybody uses some, you know, the thing is, it's like they have these tools like, like we we bought this DeWalt plunge router at work. And, you know, it's like a two and a half horsepower, two and a quarter, whatever the heck it is. And nothing fits it. And it's not like they give you a a, a connector or they even sell anything. Right. To hook it right. up to anything else. Yeah. It just doesn't work with anything. Oh,
0: okay. I've got a question for you, guy. Cause you have that small router, the small DeWalt router, the same as me, right? That yeah. I guess it's like a one and a quarter horsepower or whatever. Yeah. Um, that dust collection port. Is so stinking close to the. Yeah, it's, yeah. So,
1: I, I, it's so. I I, 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 jam it in there. <laughs> oh, you do. I'm afraid I'm going to yeah. break the stupid thing. Um, yeah, I jam. I jam it in there. It will fit if you just jam it in there. But I mean, it's like really super close. It's like why? Why don't they just make it a standard size? I don't
0: know, man. It drives me nuts.
1: And all the the stuff. It's all different sizes. I know. Nothing's the same.
0: Right. Right.
1: Nothing's the if, same. Even from router, router to, to router. Different.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. Even if even the same brand, they're uh, that's crazy. Yeah.
0: The port is different. Yes, it is.
1: Yep. So, like I said, I, I went to the Festool vac um, system, and almost almost all my equipment is Festool now. I've got a few other machines. I've got a Lamello uh, biscuit joiner, mm-hmm. and that the, the the Festool fits in fine. Nice. The DeWalt, little DeWalt router, I just jam it in there really hard, Man. and it, it does fit. But that's, that's one, about it. it. It's one of
2: those things when you make the switch, yeah, it, it, it's expensive. We're not saying you need to go everything festival, but when you have it, a system that works, and you and you can just plug it up, and it connects, you go from the router, you go then you go to the sander, then you go to the domino, back to the sander and it just fits it's it's nice and it's one yeah. of those things that i fought with yeah. for seven eight years and now that i have a i don't have a complete tool set of festival stuff but i got the important stuff for me right now it just fits and then i don't have to get like oh, okay where's the adapter where's the tape mm-hmm. i understand the struggles. <laughs> where's the tape Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my miter saw it. i got that thing taped up
1: you know uh you know we was mentioning you know um uh, 3D printed stuff my friend Mike Fulton who lives here in town he's got a 3D printer he does all kinds of stuff with that thing yeah makes little fittings and mm-hmm. stuff to to make his make yeah. his stuff work hey yeah. so what
0: about that rigid va- uh, the rigid oscillating sander is that connected directly to a, a shop yeah vac it's or? a rigid
1: it's 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 a rigid shop vac mm-hmm. oh okay and it's a rigid sander and the hoses didn't fit oh. <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, why would they fit? Yeah,
0: uh, well, I don't what know. makes it, you
1: think they would fit?
0: It's the same brand. Who would have thought?
1: Same. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. No, it doesn't fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit. So yeah. I had a. Uh, I think I, had, I I used some Gorilla Tape. Oh, okay, gotcha. To put it in there, it was close, but not quite. And the Gorilla Tape, if you've ever used that stuff? It's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. So, good. so anyways. Well, I think I, that is it for that question. Yeah,
0: I think that was our last question. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, what we've got going on this week. Um, let's go with Guy. What do you got going on this week?
1: Uh, well, it's been a couple weeks. weeks. Um, last week, I got an opportunity to we have we have a, a, a grant to do training. Mm hmm. And they asked me to take a couple of the guys and teach them some stuff. So I spent about a week with these two guys and we built a small shaker style table with a dovetail drawer.
0: Yeah, well, I saw that. It looks nice.
1: Yeah, it came out really nice. And, um, you know, these guys don't even know what a domino is. Mm-hmm. And we start talking mortise and 10 They're like, huh? What? Huh? Mm-hmm. They don't they, didn't, they knew, I mean, absolutely nothing. It was a lot of fun. We spent probably, you know, I worked 10-hour shifts and doing some other stuff here and there. But I'd say for, we just finished up yesterday. So we had five days of maybe five to six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So 25 you know, hours. Wow. And nice. um that was nice. And then so far this week, it's Wednesday, we have an order for 34 of these pine tables that have aluminum edging on them. And uh, each one of them has to have a, a groove routed underneath for an embedded piece of angle iron. I got a radius all the corners. And I said, the guys over there on the other side of the shop, all they do is make tabletops. Right. They don't, uh, there's a couple of guys, they don't, they've never even used a router before. So this all falls on me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sitting there like an assembly line, just doing this stuff all day long. <laughs> so the last couple of days I've been doing it, but I did get an order today for an eight foot long credenza that I'll build. It's not very pretty, but I'll build it. <laughs> and it's made it's made out of my favorite wood hickory Ooh. so Ugh. yeah i hate that stuff uh so what about you sean what do you got going on i saw you put a new video out that was pretty cool
2: yeah i had to blow the dust off the youtube channel and reset my password because i forgot it no i'm just playing <laughs> um yeah i finished up a little side table made out of cherry and it was mainly to uh limited tool build pretty much i didn't use half of the tools that i have so I usually only use three instead of six, uh, mainly was using the bandsaw to get familiar with it and, um, the router and a few hand tools and a miter saw. It was a nice little table. Um, it was a quick build and, um, edited the video, posted it. And now I'm trying to, uh, determine what I want to work on next. I'm still back and forth on the design for my credenza because it's, it's one of those things. It's such a large project. You only get one shot at it unless you, for some reason, yeah sell it. So I, I'm going to take my time on that. And I may do some shop projects. I'm probably going to take the lathe and, uh, put it up somewhere because I, it's, it's been years since I've used that thing. So I'm not really, it's just taking up floor space. And then, um, so I may do something with that space. And, uh, another thing I'm considering is making a cabinet to set my drum sander on because it's got that a frame metal base. That's just a waste of space. Mm-hmm. And that kind of rhymed, but I didn't mean it to. Um, and then. Um, it's a, it's a shop wrap. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> the base of waste of space, but that's kind of what I've got going on. I've just been tinkering out there and trying to decide what I want to do next. I need to go get some walnut this weekend. Got a sawmill. It's, it's coming fresh out of the kiln. So I may pick up a hundred board feet of that, give or take. And, uh, yeah. And hopefully that gets me through for a few months. Cool. That's all I've got. What about you, Hui? Uh, this week. Well, first off,
0: I've been spending a lot of time at our new house, uh, that's being under, that's under construction and just doing some things inside the garage, um, that, uh, would have cost me a lot more to have the contractor and builder do. So I've been doing some stuff over there. So visiting that site a lot, but, um, at the shop, uh, I finished dovetailing the drawers for uh, for my little storage bench. Finally, got that done. Um, now I got to put on the drawer backs and drawer bottoms. Put on the uh, the the cabinet back is done um, is is veneered. So I've got to make the groove in the back of the cabinet to accept that. But uh, that's about it. I haven't been too much, but you know, some fun, some fun things being done at the bench and then some fun things that obviously I'm not putting on social media or anything like that. That's being done at the, at the house. Well, maybe I should do that. I don't know. It's we'll see.
1: Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Don't bother.
0: Don't bother. (laughs) Well, I think that wraps up this this show. So uh, please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com, or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. Please make sure also to include your name so we know who it is. Uh, We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you?
1: Uh, At uh, guyswoodshop.com. Sean?
2: Simplecove.com and at Simplecove on social media. Nice. All
0: right, right, great, guys. It was uh, really enjoyed talking to you guys tonight. Have a good one.
1: O sea...